0: The nightmare started after I stopped taking it. And so this is a concept that most doctors are just completely ignorant about. And this happens with fluoroquinolones. This happens with Lupron. This can happen with finasteride. So it happened over the course of 48 hours where I pretty much just lost consciousness, which now I know uh, was most likely encephalitis. So. I was told that my entire experience was not real, and that everything I was going through was just either psychosomatic, or the worst thing that they told me was that it was just a ploy for attention.
1: Medical error is purported to be the third leading cause of death in the US, killing a quarter of a million Americans annually. 23% of Europeans have been affected by medical error. Bad science embeds ME as medical harm globally, making millions missing. But less than 10% of medical errors are reported because medical error is the secret many healthcare systems and governments work hard to hide. Wrong medication, wrong dose, amputate the wrong limb. I am Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews. And I talk with patients and families, physicians, and advocates about medical error. They share secrets, stories, and most importantly, solutions. Medical Error Interviews is brought to you by my online counseling service, remediescounseling.com, a safe space for people affected by medical error, chronic illnesses, and other life matters. A note of caution some may be distressed or triggered by the medical experiences of guests hello humanity i'm scott simpson host of medical error interviews as we learned in part one of rachel's interview she comes from a family of physicians and when she was seriously injured by accutane a medication many teens and young adults take for acne Rachel found herself at odds with her family's complete buy-in to the corporate pharmaceutical narrative and their wholesale acceptance of Big Pharma's so-called research. All of the doctors denied Accutane injured Rachel and diagnosed her as psychosomatic. Rachel's family also didn't believe her, calling into question her mental stability. Not surprisingly, Rachel felt doubly deceived by medicine and her family, and as pretty much anyone who's experienced a medical error can attest, when doctors and hospitals deny the error or the harm it caused, that invalidated trauma gets deepened. In part two, Rachel tells about the pressure from her family to abandon natural approaches to health and embrace better living through chemistry including taking Accutane for moderate acne. We then hear the hellish side effects Rachel has and continues to endure, what she learned when she took a deep dive into Accutane's side effects and the pharmaceutical industry, and how she's coping through advocacy and education. You can support the podcast by becoming a subscriber on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and all the major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Simply go to patreon.com slash Interviews to become a monthly Patron of the podcast. And if you need the support of an experienced counselor for dealing with a medical error or living with complex chronic illness, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Now, here's my interview with Rachel and a note of caution that some folks may be triggered by Rachel's experiences with the healthcare system. Awesome, thanks so much. Uh, so we're picking up uh, where our previous conversation left off where you're describing uh, your childhood and the medical and healthcare experiences and errors you encountered then. And then you left us at a cliffhanger. You were just about to talk about your experience with Accutane. And for folks who aren't familiar with Accutane, what is that medication?
0: Yeah. So Accutane is the brand name that it's most well known by. And actually it is just a toxic, extremely high overdose of a synthetic vitamin A derivative. So it's not as safe as taking vitamin A, but taking vitamin A in high doses is actually extremely dangerous. And so um, it is a very high dose of a dangerous form of vitamin a there's a lot of different brands that it goes by but accutane is just one of the most well-known um the maker uh roche has actually discontinued the sales in the united states but that doesn't mean that they withdrew it from the market entirely it's sold as accutane other places in the world but i just i used a brand name of it or sorry i used a generic name of it not the brand name
1: Wow. Okay, um, I didn't know that that it was synthetic um, vitamin A. That's interesting. Um, and what do folks take it for? Is there just one purpose or multiple purposes?
0: Yeah. So mostly it's used for cystic acne, which is what I, which is what I was dealing with. Um, but it, lately they've been using it even for just mild acne, which is astonishing and absolutely criminal. And there's also other uses that they uh, that they use it for. During the time that I was offered this medication, I was never told that it was actually a chemotherapy drug. So that's something that medical professionals to this day will try to deny. But the mechanism of action is essentially that it is a chemotherapy drug and not just a drug used in combination with chemotherapies, which is what they'll try to tell you. but it does act. Uh, directly on cells, it induces cell death body wide. And that's not something that they will tell you. Um, it's also used for um, other skin conditions in addition to acne, like rosacea, a skin condition called HS. And they're also attempting to use it sometimes for alopecia, even though it causes alopecia. So there's a lot of um, medications on the market that will literally cause the condition that it was approved to treat. So most commonly it is used for cystic acne, but today the sales are just exponentially increasing. And I think about 80% of sales on the market these days are actually used for mild or moderate acne instead of severe acne, which is what it was only supposed to be approved for.
1: Wow, that's... Frightening. So some folks may be thinking, well, you know, uh, all of these other countries have approved it for use amongst their population. It must be safe. But I'm thinking you're going to tell us differently.
0: Right. Yeah. Very common misconception is to assume that the folks at the FDA or the Uh, World Health Organization or whatever country that you live in to assume that those regulatory agencies have approved medications that are considered to be safe. And so there's a really big discussion on what it means for a drug to be safe. Um, What I'm about to tell you is that the actual dangers behind this medication in particular alongside many medications that are approved are much more dangerous than you would ever imagine them to be. So this drug is considered by most of the dermatologists who prescribe it to be very safe when it's monitored properly and when it's used in the recommended doses. And I'm about to tell you why it is never safe and can never be explained as you know, being a safe drug. It just can't.
1: Okay. So tell us about your experience with it um, and then segue into the sort of bigger issues around it. The
0: bigger issues. Yeah. So going back to all of the bigger issues around <laughs> this drug and its prescription, I'll talk about that later, but first I'll just jump into how I was introduced to this deadly chemotherapy poison, which is on par it is the level of damage that it causes is, I would say, on par with fluoroquinolone antibiotics, which, is, uh, which are known to be one of the most dangerous antibiotics on the market. People end up in wheelchairs because of it. So I was introduced to this um, through a colleague of my father. So my father has a private practice and he does he does internal medicine. And so he works in a private practice office alongside other doctors. So one of the doctors that he has known for um, over well over a decade is a dermatologist. And so back when I was starting to have my acne become more cystic, like I was explaining in the last episode, um, I had dealt with you know acne on and off since I was a teenager. And then around age 19, 20 or so, it's it changed from being like occasional pimples here and there to being more of those like deep under the skin kind of like cystic bumps. And so I was explaining beforehand how I had been medicated on these psychiatric medications, the SSRI um, medications, and I had been taking on and off some of these uh, benzodiazepines, which I never got addicted to, but they were definitely affecting me. And so after multiple times of me trying to get off of these, um, these SSRI medications and not being able to, I was in this position where I was not really able to focus on my school. And I was also dealing with cystic acne. And the acne only really became cystic and more severe, like around 19 or 20, but I had been taking the SSRIs since I was about 16. So I I didn't think that the medications were really causing my acne, and also I had tried changing doses and changing um, medications, and it, it didn't really seem to be changing anything. So after many attempts to kind of get rid of my acne, like whole... Naturally, I was kind of going down this natural path of dietary changes and using different supplements and changing my pillowcases and all of these things. Um I was really discouraged from using from trying all of these natural methods because I was told by my father, who had looked in the medical literature for acne, and I was also told by my dermatologist that if you have cystic acne, it's kind of just a condition that you have and will likely have for a long time if it, if you have it in your adulthood, which I did, I was 21. And so they were telling me that, you know, it was pretty much futile to try to get rid of it on my own. And they were telling me that, you know, dietary changes probably wouldn't really help it, even though I had already cut out a lot of things. And they were telling me that it was just kind of something that if I wanted to treat, I had to treat medication, which I was really fighting against that. But, you know, I have these authority members who are like experts in the field and they're telling me that like, this is the only actual way to do it and everything else is just phony and fraudulent and nothing else is really going to work. And after being frustrated with my own attempts to try to get it under control and not really feeling like I was getting the results that I wanted, I and after having been on antibiotics for I think I did like five or six rounds of them like from ages 16 up until that point and I had only heard of Accutane one time before and the context that I had heard it about it was that there were some lawsuits associated with um, irritable bowel disease and so I thought to myself well that's a really serious like i that's just never an option for me. I don't want to risk having some kind of problem um in order to clear my skin. So I just thought like that's not that's not an option. And so it never made me extremely depressed and it never really like ruined my life. It just made me feel less uh confident about myself. So it's something that I wanted to get treated. I had seen like multiple different dermatologists. I finally Agreed um, with my dad's uh, encouragement of me to kind of ditch the natural remedies that I was using. He said it was just a waste of money, a waste of time. It would just lead to frustration. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll like, I'll see your, you know, renowned dermatologist friend who uh, was very well respected in the community. And so I finally saw him, and you know, at that point in time, I was upset because I had noticed a little bit of scarring happening in my skin and my acne by the way was not extremely severe I would say it was moderate level so I had no more than like I never had more than like 15 um, like cystic lesions on my face and they were not massive but they were like painful so for that reason I would say it was moderate Um, As soon as I walk into the office, he immediately classifies me as having severe acne, which really kind of took me back because based on all the research I had done, like my acne was not really considered to be severe. And so that just made me feel really bad about myself. Like he's telling me that I have really bad acne basically. And so that was a really difficult appointment. And we talked about my treatment options and he told me that um at this point he felt like accutane was really the only option that i had and that he would have put me on it a lot sooner that's what he told me and so as soon as he told me this i was just completely shocked because i said you know i had no idea that you thought my acne would be bad enough for that like i thought that was a really serious drug and you know only for really really severe acne which mine was not really really severe and so he told me that There were a lot of myths and rumors and misconceptions in the public about this medication and that actually in reality it was a very very safe medication and so he told me that everything that i had you know heard about it was actually proven to be incorrect and that scientifically they had gone through meta-analysis of multiple different um, research papers and they had really studied this in depth and they had found actually that the rumors around irritable bowel syndrome and um all, and crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis they had found that after studying thousands of people in multiple different studies that there was no association between accutane and these conditions and they also found in all of their studies, so this was back in 2013, that there, were no associ- uh, there was no association between Accutane and depression or suicidal thoughts. And that was my other concern. So my two main concerns about this medication um, was that you know it might cause me issues with my bowels because there had been lawsuits about that. And then that it would might cause depression because uh, that's what had made the news about these like suicide cases. And the other thing I was concerned about is that it can cause, it can it's known for being a little bit hard on the liver. Like all drugs are processed through the liver. So all medications can cause a little bit of liver damage, just like drinking too much alcohol can. And so I told him about all my concerns and I was like, you know, I really don't want to hurt my body. I'm an extremely health conscious person. And ideally I want to actually be off of all of my medications, but um, I'm just having a really hard time with this, and so I asked him, like, you know, what do you think any of the like any natural approaches might work? And he just said, no, research doesn't really support, like, you know, you're already doing a lot with your diet. Like, I've already cut out a lot of foods. And he told me that that really, in his you know expert opinion and his clinical practice, that this is really the only thing that he's seen that actually works, and everything else is just kind of a waste of time and money. And also not only does it work, but it's extremely safe. And all of the rumors that I had heard were actually not even b- backed up by science. And so I was really surprised about, about that. <laughs> I was like, oh wow, okay. So everything you know, that I thought about this is you're telling me is not true. And um, so I walked into that appointment never thinking that he would offer me such a like, scary sounding medication. And then, when he told when he offered it to me, I at first told him no, I don't want to take it. But he told me that I should take my initial pregnancy test because it is a teratogen, meaning that it, you know, it's a strong enough medication that it causes birth defects. There's a lot of medications out there that do cause birth defects, so that was another concern, like red flag. You know, if it can do that, then what else can it do to your body potentially? know i talked to him about my concern about that i was like it sounds really strong and he's like oh don't worry there's a lot of other things that can cause birth defects it only happens like while you're on the drug just like don't get pregnant and as long as you don't it doesn't affect the adult body in the same way that it that it uh, affects the fetus so he told me just to take a pregnancy test and just to go home and think about it and that he would send me some more research studies to put my mind at ease and that really I shouldn't overthink it because it's such a simple medication. He told me he'd like given it out so many thousands of times. He's never had any problems with it ever in his entire career. And furthermore, he told me that he felt that it was actually more dangerous and damaging to be put on multiple different rounds of antibiotics over and over again. Like he told me that he had a patient who actually went blind from taking minocycline which is a tetracycline antibiotic and i remember that that really stuck with me as being really scary thinking like wow these antibiotics maybe like those are something that you should be afraid of and he told me he never had anybody have any issues with acutane no vision issues nothing but he had had issues with tetracyclines before And so he was really cautious about that. And the one thing that he told me, (laughs) whatever you do, when you go home, don't Google Accutane and don't look at all these like patient blogs because that is not a scientific thing to do. And anytime that you Google a medication, you're just going to find inaccurate information. You'll find anecdotes and stories and people are always linking together things that are not uh, causative. So people are always making the mistake of saying, oh, you know, I developed this disease and then, you know, it was caused by this thing that happened before. And he said, that's not a scientific way of looking at things. And he's like, you know, you're a biology student. You should really know that you have to do proper research and you can't just believe everything that you read online. Otherwise, you know, you'll become an anti-vaxxer. And so he kind of compared it to the anti-vax movement which you know later on now i now i see how that is kind of a ridiculous thing to say also because vaccines do cause damage um which i have found out myself but so i was you know very much wanting to uh be a good student be a good scientist um i wanted to do the right thing so i went home And I researched it on PubMed. You know, I looked up various different articles and I found studies and sure enough, I found the studies that he sent me and there was no association with IBS. And there was one study that had like, I think it was a meta-analysis of 50,000 people that it was looking at. There's no association with IBS. I thought, well, if there ever was an association, they definitely would have found it without many people. And then, and then I also read about it having no association with depression, and I also read about um, all of the safety, like with thousands of different people taking the medication, all these clinical trials, and like nothing serious happening. So, after about four to five weeks of thinking about it, I finally decided that I would, you know, give it a shot, and I started on a really, really low dose just to be super cautious. I weigh 50 kilograms and most people that are my weight would end up taking about 50 milligrams. So it's like one uh, one milligram per kilogram per day. So uh, most people would take 50 kilograms, sometimes even more. And so I started off on 10 milligrams, which is a really low dose. It's like a fifth of, I started the medication and everything was perfectly fine. I didn't have any weird thing happen to me my, um, I took my blood tests, everything was perfectly normal. And the only thing that happened to me was just like some dry lips and some dry skin. And I was at the time doing a really rigorous internship over the summer. I was able to run and be active and be on my feet all day. And so everything was really going fine. And my skin was starting to clear up and I felt really good actually. Um, And I was thinking like, wow, this stuff is great. It's like, clearing my skin. I'm I don't feel bad. I feel better than I felt when I was taking some of these other medications like spironolactone made me feel really bloated and gave me some side effects that I didn't like that I'd mentioned. And so everything was fine and that continued on for another month or two. And the first thing that looking back I noticed might have been a side effect. I didn't realize it was a side effect like at the time but I was rock climbing because I'm a rock climber. And part. I was going up this cliff that was um, pretty high. And I kind of twisted my ankle a little bit. The one that I had mentioned previously in the last episode, uh, the one that I had surgery on. So it's kind of always my problem ankle. And I like put it in a crack in the wall and I put my weight on it, which is the method of climbing that rock climbers do so it's something i'd done before but this time it was kind of um it had made it kind of feel sore and so i thought okay well maybe i just twisted it the wrong way and this was about like two or three months into the taking the medication and my ankle felt a little bit stiff and i was like having a hard time like walking on it a little bit but it wasn't that painful it was just kind of normal And so I thought, okay, well, I just won't do that type of rock climbing again. And then over the next couple of weeks, it was still kind of bothering me. So I saw saw a doctor. I went to go see the surgeon who performed that foot surgery on me that I always had problems with. And I told him, you know, I've been kind of having problems on and off with this ankle. Like, I shouldn't have even had that surgery to begin with. And then he told me, yeah, you know, we might need to lengthen your Achilles tendon because we didn't do that in the procedure and i was like what you didn't lengthen my like okay he's like yeah you know i wanted to be cautious but most times we lengthen the achilles tendon and it's not surprising to me that you're having problems because i was wondering if you would end up having problems with it or not and so i thought okay i guess this issue is just related to my foot surgery and i didn't think anything about it being connected to the medication even though Accutane does cause joint problems. So at that point in time, I was thinking, okay, I just have this bummed out ankle that, you know, they messed up with the surgery, whatever. I'll just do some physical therapy, do other exercises, try to get along with it. I, the next thing I noticed was that my anxiety and my depression was just getting a lot worse, but I kind of associated this with the stress of school. And not with the medication, because like I said, I had suffered with anxiety and depression before. So it's not like that was a new experience for me.
1: When did you start to connect the dots that it was the Accutane causing these problems?
0: December or so. So I started it in July of 2013. It wasn't until about December that I started to think I wonder if some of these issues that are like subtly getting worse are maybe because of this medication. And I was in communication with my dermatologist the entire time, and he was really unconcerned. He was not worried at all about anything. He said, My blood lapse looked perfect. At this point, my dose was raised up to 20 milligrams. So, you know, still less than half of the dose that. A lot of people, and some people might my weight take 80 milligrams. That's still a quarter of the dose is what some people take. Reason that I eventually stopped taking the medication early, I was supposed to take it for a lot longer because I was on such a low dose, supposedly a low dose, um, is because one day I woke up and I had about um, 15 or 20 pieces of hair just like come out as I was going like that, as I was brushing my hands through my hair. And that had never happened to me before. Like, and I talked to my doctor and I was like, I'm really worried about this hair loss. Like, I don't want to lose a lot of my hair. So I I decided to stop taking the medication at that point because I was getting worried about it. And I thought, okay, I stopped taking it. Everything should get better now. It's I didn't really have severe side effects. So I stopped taking the medication. (laughs) And then the nightmare started after I stopped taking it. And so this is a concept that most doctors are just completely ignorant about. And this happens with fluoroquinolones, this happens with Lupron, this can happen with finasteride, can happen with any of these really harsh, severe medications, which alter the body in a really serious way, either through a cytotoxic effect or through crashing in the endocrine system or something like that. And so a couple weeks after I stopped taking the medication, my foot pain was getting so much worse. It was getting really hard for me to um, do like running or even walking was really painful. And it was just really getting to the point where it was impairing my life significantly. I know Accutane can cause joint pain, but I didn't have pain in my back. I didn't have pain anywhere else. So I thought, I'm not sure. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. My my doctor thought that it was not from the Accutane. I actually saw a surgeon who thought it wasn't from Accutane. I saw another doctor who thought it wasn't from Accutane. So they were all telling me that, you know, it's just from my surgery. It's not from taking the medication. At that point, some other issues started happening. My eyes, after I stopped taking the medication, my eyes got extremely le- uh, sensitive to the light, which I had never had before. So I was needing to wear sunglasses everywhere. And then my hair shedding was getting worse. And then also after I stopped taking it, my skin became really, really, really dry. And my anxiety and depression were just getting really, really severe. So I was starting to become suspicious, but I was also really confused because normally when you take a medication, if you have any side effects, you expect them to go away after you stop taking the drug. You don't expect them to get exponentially worse after you stop taking it. So far, these issues were still pretty tolerable, but as time went on, they continued to get worse and worse. And so I stopped taking the medication in January of 2014. By April, I was starting to have really weird experiences where I'd have shooting pain in my elbow, which I never had before. And then one day I was in yoga class and I actually almost passed out. I almost fainted. And that had never happened to me before in my life. And I became so weak that I almost couldn't stand up in the middle of a yoga class suddenly. And so I was having all of these really weird and mysterious things happen to me and it was really terrifying because I couldn't get any answers for them so it happened really suddenly in about I think it was May 9th all of a sudden I was having this episode where I pretty much lost it was almost like I was having a stroke but I Felt like I almost like just lost consciousness because I was in and out of the ability to be connected to my body. I was um, just having full body spasms and tremors. And I was, it felt like I had a fever. I was shaking all over, heating up from head to toe, and just spasming and uncontrollably. And at that point, I was so scared i didn't know what was happening but i felt like i was just becoming really sick i was having such bad brain fog that i couldn't even remember where i was what i was doing i felt like i was demented basically i it wasn't psychosis like i never lost i never lost touch with reality but it was like this severe fog that i can only describe as feeling like i had alzheimer's or something or had a stroke So it happened over the course of 48 hours where I pretty much just lost consciousness. And when I woke up, my entire body was on fire. Like like every cell of my body was dipped into a vat of acid and electrocuted. And every part of my body was being stabbed with knives at the same time. I woke up from this period of in and out consciousness, which now I know uh, was most likely encephalitis because I was having really bad pain in my head, really bad headaches, really bad pain in my spinal cord everywhere. I think I was really just having a case of encephalitis at that point. And I actually woke up and my hands were paralyzed. I could not use my hands at all. I couldn't, um, I could only move my wrist, but the function of my hands was completely gone.
1: Were you uh, alone during this period of time? Or, or if you're not alone? What yeah, were the people yeah I was,
0: I was actually, I was alone. So what happened is that right before the onset of me um, going through this horrific experience, my parents, I, like my health was kind of really questionable. And so my parents thought that I was having like a, I don't know, like, not a psychotic attack, but they thought that I was kind of just going crazy. So it was diagnosed as like a um, (laughs) depression-induced mental period. And so they said, like, I don't know what to do with you because I was really having pain before this onset, before the massive onset of my body breaking down. I was having really bad problems with pain that was affecting my life. And so they actually checked me into an outpatient psychiatric facility which was for people with really bad anxiety and depression so there was no psychosis cases there but it was like bipolar anxiety depression ocd trauma ptsd that kind of thing so i was at the center for people who were depressed and they were gaslighting me the entire time and they were telling me there's nothing wrong with you it's psychosomatic this is a psychological issue you're just dealing with you're just dealing with the onset of ptsd because I was having really bad nightmares and I was having reoccurring symptoms of PTSD. So they thought it was PTSD from the surgery that I explained in the last episode, because I was having just really bad symptoms of PTSD. So I was told that my entire experience was not real and that everything I was going through was just either psychosomatic, uh, somatoform disorder, or the worst thing that they told me was that it was just a ploy for attention and that i was just some needy little young adult kid who hadn't you know been able to properly take to the adult life and that i was doing this crazy act for attention which is completely ridiculous because i was a top achieving student and i would have no reason to do something like that for attention because i was already getting enough attention by just Getting really good grades as, as it was to begin with.
1: So it sounds like right from the start, you didn't buy into the
0: psychosomatic narrative. Absolutely not. Well, I like you can't avoid the reality of the pain being real when the pain is so severe that it takes over your entire um, experience of life. Like the pain was so bad that I knew that it was not in my head. There was no question to me as to whether or not this was. A psychotic period or psychosomatic because and I could feel the damage in my joints. That there might like every time someone tried to tell me that this was fake or that this was made up, I would just move my joints and you can hear them cracking and you can still hear them cracking. Every every joint in my body is is cracking, even my collarbones, everything. And so I knew it was not psychosomatic, but my parents thought it was psychosomatic. My doctors thought it was psychosomatic. Everybody around me was just telling me that I was crazy. I just remember feeling so much rage because the worst thing that can happen is to have your body break apart. And then the next worst thing that can happen is to go through this horrific experience where you are becoming broken, um, potentially forever. And people are just not even caring about your story. It's like they don't even care about it. They just think that you are losing your mind.
1: Yeah, we can be so physically sick and so vulnerable and then to have the people that are supposed to be caring and supporting us basically turn against us. It's a real betrayal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so that's really how I felt with my parents not taking my condition seriously and also My brother as well, who um, is a doctor now, but he was in the process of applying for medical school, he didn't believe me either. And he and I used to be extremely close. So it was really hurtful for for him to be telling me, Rachel, I think that this is because you're depressed and I think you need to be taking antidepressant medications. And so everybody I knew around me was just trying to get me to take more drugs. And I knew that at this point in time, at first, I didn't really know what was happening to me because I had never heard of anything like this happening. But when I had that major onset of my body falling apart, I thought there has to be a reason for this. I was a healthy person. There's no reason that a healthy 22-year-old would just wake up one day unable to walk, paralyzed. There has to be an explanation. And so that's when I started to suspect and look up, like, what has Accutane done to my body? And that's where I found hidden deep in the internet, because it was still 2014, there was not a whole lot of information on this yet, except for if you looked at all these patient blogs, like AskAPatient.com, or there's a couple other ones out there. That's when I started finding all of these people who were going through the same experience as me, from taking Accutane. The same story was repeating itself over and over again. Someone would people would take Accutane and they would be fine on the drug. Maybe they have some side effects, maybe not really minor effects. Some people never had any effects on the drug. They stopped taking it. And then, like weeks or months after they stopped taking it, their whole body falls apart. And I was just like, what? The heck is going on? Like, is this am I in the twilight zone? Is this even real? Because my doctor's telling me this is a really safe medication. And then my father is contacting dermatologists like all over the country. He's talking to the lead dermatologists of like UCSF and the lead dermatologist this place. He's he's contacted like at least 10 dermatologists at the point. Nobody has ever heard of this. Like none of them had even heard about it. They didn't know. They thought for sure that this was not real. I just felt like I was in another reality because here I am going through the same exact experience of all of these people who are talking about it. Like, you know, I would see like 10, 20 comments in a row on these patient sites. Like, I took Accutane, I was fine while taking it, and then I stopped taking it. And then months later, all my joints are destroyed or I developed severe IBS, or I developed neuropathy, or like all of my hair fell out. Another thing is I lost half of my hair within days. Within two or three days, 50% of my hair fell out. It was like, it was like I was on chemotherapy. And I watched my mom go through chemotherapy and my hair loss was like almost as bad as that. I went through the process of trying to convince my parents that it was Zaccutane. They were really not convinced. They really didn't believe it. And so I went through the next few years of my life dealing with um, on and off paralysis of my hands and severe agonizing pain in my body. It's anywhere from level seven to level nine out of 10. And I you know, tried to finish my degree. I tried to get on with my life, but the symptoms are just so severe. It's like I have over a hundred symptoms right now. And the scary thing is that like a lot of them just keep getting worse over time. And so it wasn't until a couple years ago that I connected on Facebook groups with all of these other people who have had this happen to them because the Facebook groups did not exist back in 2013, 2014. There were no Facebook groups for this. And as of recently, as of around 2015, 16, 17, a lot of Facebook groups started popping up because people were finally starting to connect the onset of their health problems that happened after they stopped taking the drug to Accutane. And so since then, I've been in communication with like hundreds or if not thousands of other people who this has happened to. And it's just like the most traumatizing experience you can imagine. And not only that, but nobody believes you and nobody recognizes what you're going through and nobody really understands how hard it is to lose your health at such a young age. I mean, I was only 22 years old and I feel like my body is like 90, at least maybe hundred. I am in so much pain all the time.
1: Uh, Rachel, can you expand on that a wee bit? So what are you living with daily? Pain? And tell us yeah. more.
0: So I'll tell you everything I have. I have severe neuropathy throughout my entire body. It feels like I'm being electrocuted 24 um, 7. i have severe weakness and also neuropathy um in my hands that make me lose control of my coordination i have severe tendon damage throughout my body which is a similar effect as what the fluoroquinolone antibiotics do because these these drugs are also similarly uh tendon toxic in a delayed onset manner so very, it doesn't really cause tendon ruptures as much, but it causes tendon desiccation. So drying out of the tendons. I have joint pain and uh, cracking in all of my joints. I have um, degenerating cervical spine. So my cervical spine has six disc bulges in it and I'm not even 30. So I was told that my spine is, you know, the age of like a 60 or 70 year old. Um, the pain in my neck is so bad that sometimes I can't even turn my head. It's agonizing. It's really severe. I have permanent hair loss. So I've lost like over 50% of my hair permanently. Um, I developed just about just this year, I developed visual problems. So I have floaters in my eyes. I still have the light sensitivity. Um, My muscles are extremely weak. Sometimes I can't walk or get out of bed and I have really severe muscle wasting. So I used to be extremely strong and athletic and I can barely even lift groceries now. It's just severe, severe pain and weakness. Yeah. Um, When
1: you described that you were doing two finger pull-ups.
0: Yeah. Two weeks, two weeks before my hands went paralyzed too. Two weeks before I was doing two finger pull-ups and then after that, I couldn't hold a I couldn't hold a cup of water. I couldn't knit. So it happened like rapidly.
1: Wow. Yeah, that must have been incredibly frightening.
0: Yeah, and this was five months after I stopped the drug. So, so.
1: you you found your people online eventually. Yeah. And have you found anything that helps alleviate the symptoms, bump up your quality of life?
0: So I've tried a lot of different things. I've tried pretty much everything that there is to try out there that I'm aware of. And no, nothing really helps. The only thing that helps take the edge off of the pain slightly is an herb called kratom. And that is an herb that has opioid-like effects, but it's not anywhere near as dangerous as opioids. So I have to be kind of careful with that because it can be addictive for some people. So I take it during my really bad flare-ups, but I try to not overuse it. I'm on, I am on no medications right now. I don't take anything. I've been off all of my medications since the onset of when this happened. I stopped taking all my medications. Um, I stopped the antidepressants. I had been on gabapentin for nerve pain and that really didn't help. Um, I'd been on benzodiazepine. So i stopped all of that. Um, I even stopped my birth control. So I'm on nothing and I've tried so many different diets, like anti-inflammatory diets. I've tried every diet that's out there and nothing makes any difference for me dietary wise. So I eat a clean and healthy diet, but the issue for me is not autoimmune it's not really inflammatory. It's actually direct tissue damage. So the tissues in my body have been um, permanently damaged in a way that is not really... Able to be repaired. So this is something that many people who go through Accutane experience. That they try everything that there is out there, and you know some of them have some kind of symptom relief for certain things, but then a lot of them, I would say most of them, just it's like a lifelong symptom management, and nothing usually really gets significantly better. Is kind of what most people's experience is.
1: Uh, So it sounds like your gut health may have been affected?
0: Actually, no, not really, surprisingly, because the only thing that Accutane is really known for is affecting the digestive system and the bowels. But I have, after trying so many different diets and everything, my digestion actually works okay, surprisingly. It's mostly my um, neuromuscular system and my musculoskeletal system that have really severe damage. So I do not experience really um, digestive problems. Most people do experience digestive problems when they have been damaged by Accutane. But after experimenting with my gut health and doing all sorts of um, trendy alternative health protocols, nothing has really changed. So I can't say that my gut health is impaired. But I can say that my um, musculoskeletal system has been really damaged, in a same in a similar way that people with fluoroquinolone toxicity would experience.
1: You mentioned the the kratom. I read a little bit about that maybe a year ago, and it seemed to have parallels to uh, cannabis, in that there seemed mm-hmm. to be a movement by some in society to make it illegal and therefore inaccessible. Right when as we know with medical marijuana it's actually quite therapeutic
0: right yeah so i know that there are efforts to remove kratom from accessibility for people and you know we can i think we can understand where those efforts would come from you know pharmaceuticals uh companies don't like to have threats to their revenue um A lot of people have been able to get off of their pain medication, get off of their use of opioids or muscle relaxers or gabapentin by using Kratom. And ever since this happened to me, it was like an awakening to the fraudulent and dark nature of pharmaceutical-based medicine. And so I do not want to become involved at all with any pharmaceuticals, even if my pain is severe. I will not touch an Advil. I won't touch anything um, because I'm very afraid of how it might affect my body. And because these corporations are criminals and I don't want to give them a single dime ever in my life. But yes, um, in terms of of it being similar to cannabis, it works in a different way, but I will say that both of them are herbs that have um, potent effects on um, pain Um, On the experience of pain and uh, through, you know, through different mechanisms. For me, cannabis does not really help me. Other people receive benefit from cannabis, but kratom is my preferred herb of choice. It's also less expensive as well.
1: Uh, so, having grown up in a very physician and healthcare-oriented family, and then having these repeated traumatic medical errors ex- experiences, that must have been some challenge to reconcile those two narratives.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's I can't even under I can't even begin to describe what a change of paradigm it's as if you are growing up in one reality in one paradigm and then your rug is just swept underneath you and all of a sudden the entire world is upside down and you think everything that I used to know is being true without even that I've been taught I shouldn't even question you just start to question everything and there's a massive issue with trust like I don't trust anybody anymore I do not trust people Um, This is something that's been really hard for me after the trauma of having not just one doctor, but multiple doctors, and not just multiple doctors, but in an entire medical establishment telling you repetitive lies about pharmaceuticals, about overall prognosis, about medical treatment. Um, Just, I would say that the field of dermatology is absolutely criminal and any doctor who lies about chain deserves to be behind bars for the rest of their life. And I'm not even exaggerating when I say that. So the level of trauma that this has on a person's psyche is just inexplicable. Like you don't see the world in the same way after you go through something like this. It takes a lot of reconciliation to be able to face the world again. And I did a lot of work around trauma and trying to overcome this. And I did this in you know, alternative, um, alternative ways. I saw shamans and I did ayahuasca ceremonies. And I will say that that helped. It helped way more than any psychiatrist or any psychologist could have been able to help me. And I think that the way that I see the world now and the way that I trust authorities is just will never be the same. I don't look at the medical establishment or the government in a through a lens of trust anymore. I question everything that I hear. Every time I hear anything on the news, I'm always wondering what the alternative side of the story is or what Um, who is funding the news, who might be funding these studies. So I'm very aware of the fact that there are nefarious forces out there in the world who will lie to the public for the sake of profit. And as you dive deeper into this research, you'll find all um, all of these things that you will discover are not known to the surface. So I think just coping with that, you have to come to a balance of not... Diving so far in that it makes you so paranoid that you're afraid to leave your house, but also trying to make sense of everything that you've learned and understanding that, okay, the world is not as I expected it to be, but that doesn't mean that everything is bad. You know, there are good things out there. We just have to see reality in a more realistic lens. And I think the way I was raised, was to see reality in a kind of brainwashed lens of, you know, okay, the government's telling you this, so that must mean it's safe. Doctors are telling you this, so that must mean it's true. You know, your teachers are telling you this, so that must mean it's accurate. And now I think for myself far more than I ever did before. And I also trust my own intuition far more than I ever did because your intuition is there for a reason. And well, it's not always correct, I think if you listen to it enough and if you become in tune with it enough through practices of meditation, you can really start to hone in on that and your intuition will tell you things that are far more truthful than you ever could have realized before.
1: Yeah, it's like a double trauma. There's the trauma of having the medical error which may impact you for the rest of your life and then there's that second trauma where the institution denies that you've had this error or that it's impacting you and then that can be wrapped up with your parents so i'm wondering how is your relationship with your parents and your brother at this point
0: it's not good um seven years later it's still very affected and impacted i would say that there have been A couple of periods of, you know, attempts of reconciliation. I am still to this day very angry. Um, I'm trying to let go of the anger that I have towards my dad because I feel not only did he encourage me to take this medication and tell me that it's really safe, but also when this happened to me, he. Was really in denial of what happened to the point where he was just saying that I need to stop being a hypochondriac, I need to get off the internet, my hands are working fine, there's nothing wrong with me. Just really strong denial. So, I think that has been, I think it's caused irreparable harm to our relationship. We will never be close in the same way that we were before. Um, you know, there can be effort to work towards forgiveness, but our family will never be the same after this. And I think that's something that most people who have a pharmaceutical injury, where not only are you impacted for the rest of your life, but also your family doesn't believe you and they don't treat you well. And they treat you like you're an insane person after having gone through such a horrific trauma. I think most people experience such a level of fallout (laughs) in their relationships that it's hard for them to ever go back to how they were before. And this is something that after talking to hundreds of victims through the internet, hundreds of people who've been through similar things, either from Accutane or from other medications, that it's a really common theme that people struggle with.
1: Yeah. Invalidated trauma deepens the trauma.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: So it sounds like you've also, uh, are verging into some advocacy around this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So since discovering and reconnecting to the online community, cause for a long time, I just wanted to kind of focus on trying to trying to heal my body and trying to get myself better and not on advocacy. And unfortunately all of my efforts to heal my body, um, frustratingly enough didn't work. So I've turned back to advocacy because of how futile the situation feels and just wanting to prevent this from ever happening to people without them at least being properly informed about the delayed onset uh, manifestation of health problems that often occur after taking Accutane. Um, My partner and I have started a platform. It's called Rx Pilled, So R-X-P-I-L-L-D. And right now the platform is on YouTube. And so what we do is we interview survivors of pharmaceutical injuries, um, all types of pharmaceutical injuries. And we share their stories for people to be able to see and hear and relate to just to put a more human face to the experience and to let other people who have been through this know that they're not alone. And also to help raise awareness about warning people to not take these really dangerous drugs like SSRIs, finasteride, Accutane, Lupron, fluoroquinolones, um, benzodiazepine. Um, These are some of the most (laughs) I'd say the most dangerous drugs besides chemotherapy drugs, which are used to treat cancer. But these are the most dangerous commonly used drugs that cause long-term damage as far as we have found. So my partner right now is finishing medical school and he is also a survivor of Accutane and he also has very severe side effects from it himself. And we're just trying to raise awareness about these issues and we're also trying to talk to doctors about it. But so far, that effort has been very difficult because even seven years after this happened to me, still to this day in the dermatological community, there is outright denialism about all of this. None of I've talked to at least 50 different dermatologists over the course of the past year and a half or so um in my advocacy work and not a single one of them has ever acknowledged this delayed onset um manifestation of severe damage that that happens and i'd say it happens not uncommonly from all the people i've talked to um i would say as high as one in ten people get some kind of permanent damage from taking accutane and that might not happen until months or even years after they stopped taking it. And a lot of people don't even connect the dots themselves too. Like, I have a friend who took Accutane in high school and he took it at age 16. And only 10 years later, did he start to develop um, irritable bowel disease and joint problems. And he didn't have that for many years. Nobody else in his family has those issues. He had some side effects on Accutane, and then later on developed it. His siblings don't have those issues. The siblings didn't take Accutane. Same thing with many other people I've talked to, actually. So a lot of people are just not connecting the dots themselves. Um, I would say that this is such a massive problem that I would even call it an epidemic, really, because this drug is given out so frequently in Israel. um, It's given out to, like, I think my uh, my partner said like one in four people or something take Accutane. Also, Israel has one of the highest rates of Crohn's disease, but nobody's ever made that connection. This medication is just being distributed at unprecedented levels. There are doctors who will take to social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and they will promote the drug And they will tell lies about the drug. They'll say that it's safe. They'll say it does not cause any kind of um, long-term problems. All the side effects are temporary. They'll say it doesn't cause depression. They'll say it doesn't cause um, IBD. So really just telling lies about this drug. And I'd say the problem is getting worse, not better. So if anything, the awareness is needed more than ever because the medical denialism, within the field of dermatology is at its highest today. And I've read so much research on this, and a lot of the research is actually attempting to debunk the experience of myself and other people. So all this new research is just trying to prove how Accutane is really safe and how it does not cause these issues when we know that it does.
1: So if folks were wanting to find uh other folks who have had similar experiences yeah i think you mentioned there's some facebook groups
0: yeah absolutely so there's three main facebook groups right now so there's one that's um accutane accutane long-term side effects and um yeah let's see i think it's called accutane long-term side effects another one is life after accutane that's a smaller group that is more private and anyone is welcome to join, but you have to, you have to have been injured by Accutane to join it um, because it's, you know, kind of a private group where people talk about difficult things. And then there's another group that is a lot larger. It's called Accutane Side Effects, uh, Survivors and Injuries. So that last group has like 10,000 people. And not everybody has been injured by Yakutin on the last group. Uh, There's some people who are thinking about taking it, reading through the horror stories and maybe guessing, you know, second guessing it. And Some people who read through the horror stories and they take it anyways. And then the other group has about 3,000 people and then another group has 300 people. And then there's a lot more groups beyond those ones as well. So most all those groups have just popped up recently.
1: Okay, and I'll include those links in the show notes for folks, as well as the link to your website.
0: R X P I L L D.
1: Oh, there's two L's, but no E. Mm-hmm. Rachel, thank you for sharing your horrific stories, traumatic stories, um, and for the advocacy work you're doing. Get the information out there. As you know, it's a big challenge to fight against the big pharma, the big medicine. yeah
0: it's a never-ending battle it's an uphill fight but if we're not going to do it who else will exactly
1: great thanks rachel rest hard thank you well thanks to rachel who is using a pseudonym to protect herself from and when in the healthcare system for sharing her experiences these interviews continue to inform and educate me And in spite of hearing about medical trauma nearly daily, the stories continue to shock me. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. You can support the podcast by becoming a subscriber on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and all the major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium Patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Simply go to patreon.com slash interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. And if you need the support of an experienced counselor for dealing with a medical error or living with complex chronic illness, You can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com.